And this is from a book called The Weight of Glory. And this is what he says. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says that there are no ordinary people. And he says that we have never talked to a mere mortal. So if this is true, then what are the implications for you this morning? What are the implications, better yet, when you walk out of here and Monday morning you show up at your office? When you go home and you see a neighbor in your hallway, what are the implications of this? No ordinary people. Not at the office, not where you live, not where you work, not where you play, not the guy under the bridge, not ordinary. It kind of changes things. And for sure, it speaks about you too. You are unique. So we're in this series, and the name of the series is Hello, My Name Is Not a Mere Mortal. So what we're doing in the series is we're looking about what Christ namely says about our lives. Do, do you have a destiny that he created you for? And if that's true, then what's the destiny? How do we find the destiny? How do we get there? Um, and as we go through there, we're, we're, we're looking at several things. And, and I'm going to give us a, a quick recap of what we've covered the last couple of weeks. Week one, we covered the fact that Jesus Christ says the very first time he stands up in public and preaches his very first message or sermon, if you will, he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, hey, I am here and I came to do one thing. And he says, I came to set the captives free. Um, And this means you and me, many times we live captive to unrealized dreams Many times we live captive to the expectations of others around us. Many times we live captives to lies that have been told to us or that we've told ourselves and we start to believe them. And we live imprisoned by these things, by our past, maybe mistakes, which we've all got. some major mistakes. So we live behind the bars of that or we trust what Christ has done. And he says, I came to set the captives free. And I love this illustration that we spoke about, and we spoke about um, perhaps Michelangelo's most famous work, which is the David. And we found out that the David began in this piece of marble, and there was an artist prior to Michelangelo that started to work on him, and then he dropped the ball, and he said, no, that's not for me. He stepped away from it, and then Michelangelo comes and says, Here it is, this work of art after four years of working on it. And the point of that is that Michelangelo says that the work of art, the David was always there. He just let him free. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful picture. It's already there. And I would say that's true for you as well. You're beautiful. You are a masterpiece according to Ephesians 2.10. And God's chiseling. He's chipping away some stuff just to make us more like him. Sometimes that chiseling hurts. Sometimes there's a lot of doubt, questions in that chiseling. But you know what he says? I'm here. I am never closer than right now. So that was week number one. And week number two, we spoke about the theory of compensation. So a psychiatrist by the name of, I'm sorry, psychologist by the name of Adler, Alfred Adler, proposes the theory of compensation. And he says that, We have many disadvantages, many perceived disadvantages in our lives. But he contends that those disadvantages can really be disguised as advantages. Another way to put it is that apparent setbacks can really be set-ups. 
And we spoke last week about uh, Beethoven, who lost his hearing. We spoke about um, Albert Einstein, who up to almost five years of age, he could not even speak, and people thought that he was mentally disabled. And then he comes out with some theories, right, that change the world. And there are many, many people. We spoke about a young girl by the name of Bethany Hamilton, and she gets her arm literally chewed off by a 14-foot tiger shark. And one month later, that perceived disadvantage comes out to be an advantage because she's out surfing after one month and she wins the Women's National Championship. Last week we asked, what are disadvantages that we have in our life right now? Things that we would say, that is a major setback. That's an unrealized dream. And we spoke about last week how we have namely two options and it's to have a pity party while we are in a waiting period or season. Seasons come and go, right? It's never summer all the time. It's never winter all the time. And that's a beautiful picture for us. If we are in that phase of unrealized dreams, he says, you're there for a reason. He says, you're my son and I know where I have you right now. He says, you're my daughter and I'm giving you exactly what you need. Because my children never lack any good thing. That's good. That's encouraging. That's beautiful. So, wherever we're at with setups today, we can have the hope that something good is coming. Because He is good. Because our Father is good. So, as we continue for uh, week three, is here are a couple things that I want to remind us all. There are uh, note cards close to you. Um, and I always encourage us to grab a note card and a pen, or if you have a smartphone and you do that uh, as well, then that, that, that's up to you. But I think it's a great way uh, just to be able to retain better. You're listening, you're seeing, you're writing. It's just a, a, an ability to retain more. And if you're anything like me, sometimes we hear stuff and we forget it before we even walk out the door. So maybe it's me being selfish, trying to get you to do what I want. But anyway, just trying to set us up for, for, for good stuff here. So... Here's the thing in the series. You are unique. Many of us need to hear that, and we need to hear that slowly. And many of us need to hear the weight of it, that you are unique. What makes you unique? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that you're created in the image of God. Imago Dei. Created in the image of God. You. Nothing else in this world is created in the image of God. There are beautiful mountains and oceans. And there are birds that chirp and things that slither on the ground and beautiful other things. But nothing else is created in the image of God. Next time you look in the mirror, be encouraged that what you're looking at is a creation of God. A hand-made creation of God. So that leads us that if we are created by him, he is a father, then we are his children, sons and daughters. And that should by far be our primary identity. You ready? That should hold more weight than anxieties that you hold about yourself. That should hold more weight than unrealized dreams, than lies, than hurt, physical or or emotional. You are a child of God. It holds more weight than your title at your work, than that dream that you're trying to achieve. Because he says this, me, the creator of the world, God, 
formed, shaped you, and I called you. And you're mine. And I gave my son to die for you on a cross. We'll get there later because that's really good stuff. And this is what we're saying. That the more we grasp this reality of who we are, the more freedom it gives us. It frees us from this weight that the world and society tends to put on us. You know, you log on to Facebook and you see the beautiful life that so-and-so is having. You're like, I want that. Why don't I have it? And it frees us from that when we say, wait a minute, my primary identity isn't achieving this or that, but it's as his son and then his daughter. And it's hard to grasp. And as I said a little bit earlier, we are on a mission to discover the destiny, the reason for your existence here on earth. And as we get there, we're doing the work kind of an, of an archaeologist. What I mean by that is that archaeologists do some difficult work. you got to survey a lot. you got to pick the place. they got to get on their knees and excavate. And they're sweating. And it's time-consuming. And eventually, when they think they found something, sometimes it's just a thing like this. But then they keep going. And the encouragement for us this morning is wherever we're at, is it? That we would be able to do some of this archaeological work, if you will. Look at our past. See what we lived. Look at those things that we would see as setbacks or disadvantages and see how God wants to use those even today. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. Poyo doesn't say that. God's word, which is an anvil that comes and destroys our thoughts as humans, says you are a masterpiece. Let that hold weight. Let that shatter your unrealized dreams. Let the weight of that shatter the hurt like an anvil. God's word. You are unique. You are beautiful and a masterpiece. And he created us brand new in Christ so we can do good things of what? That we're out there working really hard to get done, right? No. Good things that he plans. Gives us freedom. Gives us, gives us rest. Allows us to break free from the expectations of the world. Because if he created them, then all we do is jump on board to what he's done, right? And we're in seasons, but we know the season is coming, right? Okay, so today we're going to learn to manage our memories. We're going to learn to manage past memories. I read an excerpt from a doctor by the name of Wilder Penfield. It's called The Mechanisms of the Memory. And he talks about engrams. And he says that the way that engrams work in our brain is that when we do something repeatedly, a.k.a. hear a song once, that it traces a line in our cortex, in our cerebral cortex. And if you hear that song again, then the line is etched in a little bit deeper. And if you see a picture once and twice and thrice, then it's etched in more and more and more and more. So what he's trying to tell us, what this neurosurgeon, 
found out after studying 1,300 plus patients is that the stronger the emotions are, the memories, the deeper the trace is in our brains and the more we retain those things in our brains. So if you're anything like me, there are memories that we have that hold a lot of weight. And if you're like me and like the majority of other people, there are some memories in there that hurt. They hold a lot of weight. So we're going to learn how in the scope of us being unique and being made in the image of God and being special and being a masterpiece, how do we learn to manage those memories so we can get through that and discover our destiny? That's what we're going to talk about today. 125 pound memory. As we go through the series, we're looking at the life of David, a little shepherd boy, you know, who had a slingshot, grabbed some stones, killed the giant. We're looking at the life of David. And in 1 Samuel 17, 54, it tells us that after David kills the giant, he says that he takes the giant's sword and he cuts his head off. We're not going to chat about that today, but we're going to chat about the second part of that. Is that after he cuts off his head, he takes off Goliath's armor. And it says specifically that it weighs 125 pounds. Really interesting fact. And it says that he takes the armor and that he goes and he puts it in his tent. 125 pounds. David might have been 125 pounds. And he goes through the struggle of disarming this dead giant. And he drags this to his tent and he keeps it there. Why did he do that? Why would he want 125 pounds of armor in his tent? I would contend that he wanted to often remember that that battle was won and that it was God who won the battle for him. Because this little shepherd boy who knows how to throw rocks, basically, is being set up to be the king of an entire nation. His perceived disadvantages as the youngest boy of all the family, as a shepherd who's not a warrior unlike his brothers, all of a sudden is being set up by all those things. And he wants to remember that in his weakness, perceived weakness, it's God the one who stepped in and flexed his muscle. So I think it's important as we go through this today that we learn to manage memories. Because I think that if we forget what God has done, it leads to despair. There is no hope. If I'm just a victim of circumstances, then what I have to look forward to? But, a big but. But if there's a plan and a purpose, then I have hope to remember who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will continue to do. Right? We've got to learn to manage those memories. So, 
very carefully, I ask, what memories do you replay in your life often? I say carefully because I know that there's got to be a lot of pain. And maybe a way to answer this is what things, what memories tend to give you an identity? Like when you sit down with somebody, you shake their hand, do you almost say, hey, by the way, I was hurt like this and like that, and this is why life is terrible, and I don't know why he does and she doesn't, or why she does and he doesn't, but that's who I am. What, what do you replay? Because we tend to become those memories. That's what identifies us. And the sad thing in that is that we tend to let the things of this world far outweigh the love and the word and the purpose and the plan of God. So that's what we're going through here. Like archaeologists, right? It's hard work. We're going to go away from here today and my prayer is that this would not end here today, that as we drive home and we see ourselves in the mirror tomorrow morning or tonight we're brushing our teeth, for those of us who brush our teeth the night before we go to bed, we're going to be able to say, wait a minute, what, what are these memories? What's in my past? And how is God's spirit in me going to help me manage those things? So here are some practical steps. There's a renaissance figure by the name of Leonardo da Vinci. And he notices a distinction between pre-imagining and post-imagining. Two different words. Pre-imagining is this is what the future will be like before it happens, right? Pretty simple. And post-imagining is saying this is what happened already with an explanation. And you try to reimagine what happened. So this is what I want us to learn to do today. To learn how to post-imagine what's happened already. And to see it. And here's the big thing. I'm going to spend some time here, okay? And by the way, when you see something up on the screen, this wasn't me throwing this together this morning saying, oh, I'm going to throw some random slides on the screen. This is hours and hours during the week of saying, what? could I put in their hands that would best equip them? If I underline something, it's not because I'm bored and the cursor got crazy. What could perhaps speak to us? What could hold weight where I know that maybe some of us are at? So post-imagining is saying that happened and reimagining why it happened instead of it being carried with a whole bunch of weight and bitterness. And one of the biggest things where I will camp out here is what the Bible says in Romans 8.28. And it says that all things work together for good. All Capital letters, all. Underline, 
all. Put a big circle under all. All things work together for good. And if that's true, and if we choose to let the word of God be an anvil that shatters your thoughts and my thoughts, if we choose to let our faith and our imagination grasp what God is doing, then this is what it means, is that your past and my past is not circumstantial. We are not victims. So if it's not circumstantial, what is it? Providential. What does that mean? By the hand of God, filtered through the hand of God. Here you go, daughter. Here you go, son. All things, capital letters, underline, highlight, circle, a little bit of glitter on it. All things work for good. And we try to see things through the lens of God's goodness. He can see big plan. You and I are limited and finite, which is a good thing. That's why he's a savior. That's why he's God and you are not, you and I are not. He says, I know. And it's tough. I'm not saying it's easy at all. Because we're walking by faith. We're trusting that in this season that you're in today that hurts, that in the season of memories that hurt, that even in that, he is at work. He was at work and he will continue to work. So this is what happens with memories. We file them in the words of Dr. Penfield and we put them somewhere in our database of our brains and there are memories that we allow to imprison us and we can't move on you're locked there you're behind bars and sometimes you're looking out and the bitterness seems to seep in and the anxiety and the hurt and that's what guides you but if we see things in the light of God's lens all things work for good, then those memories can actually empower us. They can be a catalyst for change. They can be a springboard to what he's doing. And here's the thing. If we try to grasp this, right now, tangibly, you want to prove this theory, you're going to drown. Because we got to trust. There is no dissecting and putting things under my scope and saying, oh, I see now how it works. He says, just believe. What are we doing with our memories? So Friday was uh, Valentine's Day and um, my wife and I picked up our two kids at school around three o'clock in the afternoon and we had been talking about what do we give the kids for Valentine's Day? And we're like, you know what, they don't need toys because they have closets full of toys and honestly they probably play with like five things in their closets full of toys. So they don't need toys. We said, why don't we create a memory? So we picked them up and we took them to the park, to Clyde Warren Park. And we said, what if we just hang out there, we play a little bit of tag, we get them some food and we enjoy the, the sun. We see this eight-foot python slithering on the ground, which 
kind of side story, but that was interesting. There was a guy there with an eight-foot python, and that's his pet, and he takes him to walk in the park, if you will. Um, apparently. So that's not important, though. What is important is that as we're arriving at the park, my son says, can we get a snow cone? And I say, sure. We can get a snow cone. And he's six years old, and you might have seen him running around a little bit earlier. Maybe he threw it, something at you by accident. If so, I apologize. But he says, no, no, I don't want a snow cone. Never mind. And I said, why? What's up? He said, because last time we came, there were a whole bunch of bees that were landing in my snow cone and taking the sugar out of my snow cone. It's just freaking scary, and I don't want to do that again. His past was imprisoning him to not be able to enjoy the moment. I said, dude, don't worry about the bees. Your mom is here. Your dad is here. Your sister is here. Let's enjoy that hot dog that's going to cost us $29. And let's buy you a snow cone. And I want you to enjoy it. Forget about that. But do you see how our minds work? It was etched into his cortex. Last time I came, there were bees and I freaked out. There were almost tears in my eyes and I didn't even finish eating my snow cone. I don't want that again. And what God says to us today, he says, all things work together for good because you are my daughter. Because you are my son and I know what's best for you. And just like mom and dad were right there next to him, he says, and I'm with you right now and I'm never nearer than right now. That's good. That's encouraging. That's what we need. Right here, right now, holding you from the right hand, never let go of you. That's all he wanted to hear. He said, let's get one. And we went on to enjoy the overpriced hot dog and everything else. So how do we do this practically? Practical steps. Practically is this, is that we literally sit down with somebody you love or by yourself or with me or somebody who's sitting next to you and you pray about it and you say, what are those memories that hurt me so much and I tend to hit replay almost without even knowing For most of us, it's almost like a reflex, these memories. This is who we are. This is our identity. Hit rewind, play. Hit rewind, play. Hit rewind, hit play. What are those memories? You want some advice? Write them down. On your smartphone or on your piece of paper. Write them down. What are those things that have held weight, hold weight in your life? Especially those painful ones I'm talking about. And delete them purposely try to say, you know what? I'm going to see that in the light of God's plan. That's not going to be who I am because I heard today that I am God's son and God's daughter. That's the practical. Easy? No. Helpful and healthy? Yes. Maybe after you write down those things, you literally crumble up the paper and you throw it away. Burn it, swallow it, do whatever you want with it. So do something practical. More important than practical is what happens here. Yes? So here we go. How do we 
manage our memories, especially those painful ones that carry weight in our life today? How do we manage them spiritually? Are you ready? Here's the good news. Every Sunday when you come to Love in Motion, there should be good news to close out. Because we have enough bad news in this world everywhere we go. In our families, in our life, where we live, work and play. We've got enough. Jesus came to share the good news. Here's the good news. This is how you accomplish it. You ready? You do nothing. You just give up and surrender. You say, God, I'm going to trust and believe. And this is going to go against everything in you. I was sharing with a really good friend who was over at our house yesterday is that we are so shaped and molded by culture and society to do more, to try harder, that when we hear give up and surrender and do nothing, we're like, no, it can't work. You show up to your job tomorrow, kick your feet on the desk and tell your boss, I'm not doing anything the whole week. You'll be looking for a new job. True? Here's where the word of Jesus Christ comes like an anvil to shatter your thoughts and my thoughts. He says, give up and surrender because I can. That is the good news. Capital G, capital N, circle the G, circle the N, underscore it. Highlight it. That is the good news. That is what takes the weight off of our shoulders. He says, just believe. Surrender and give up. If you're anything like me, you've tried really hard. And if you're anything like me, when we try harder, we tend to fall harder. I want it so bad. I'm going to do this and that and try. And I finally had to get to the end of my rope to get to the beginning of God. The end of me is the beginning of him. But we just love to control, right? We just love to be able to say, I made it happen. I pushed the button. And he says, no jumping through hoops. There's no way for you to impress me. I am God. I'm the one who spoke, remember, and things were created. He says, you can't impress me. With your attitude, with your giving, with the good words, the bad words, the you can't impress me. It's done. It is finished. It says give up. It says and when you're about to collapse because you're giving up because you're so tired of carrying this weight, he says, I'll pick you up. He says, I'm here. But I can't even stretch out my arms to hold on to him. He says, perfect. You don't need to. You don't even need to try and hold on to me. He says, because I've got you. Many of us are really close to that point. Many of us have been there, and it's a healthy thing. I can't even take one more step. I don't know what to do tomorrow or to think. I can't breathe what's going on anymore. That's a great spot to be in. He gets down as a perfect father can and he gets on one of his knees and he says, I got you, I got you. And there is no greater love than the love that I have for you, he says. And I proved it on the cross. I died for you and that is the good news. 
remember that the work of Jesus is infinitely greater than our work. His work on the cross is infinitely greater. And when you let that sink in here right now, today seep in to the marrow of your bones, it makes a difference. It's done. And I've got a good plan. And I've got a great destiny. And I'm next to you holding you from your hand. That is the good news. That is what Jesus says 